Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 14 comes with a trigger warning. We're looking today at the subject of abuse, which some people may find distressing. The deputy headmaster of my school sixth form, Mr Fielding, once shared with us the way he was trained to approach the discipline of children at teacher training college. He said, my tutor, who was used to some of the roughest schools in Manchester, gave us this advice in classroom management. If it moves, hit it. The working class Oldham I grew up in was violent. Parents hit children, children hit each other, and at school, teachers would hit us routinely with a range of implements. Leather strap across the palms of your hands, I got dozens of times, sometimes a wooden ruler. That would take place in the classroom at the front of the class. Especially serious offences were dealt with by the headmaster, making you bend over and whacking you on the bottom with a leather strap. Not many years before, it would have been a cane stick. Violence was part of life in a way that young people today could not imagine. I had one geography teacher who was so obsessed with hitting us that if we were approaching the end of the lesson and he'd not hit several children, then he would call out random numbers from the class register. And if your number was called, you had to go to the front, hold out your hands and take a blow from him with a wooden ruler. It was completely arbitrary. There wasn't even a pretense of justice or targeted discipline. He hit you hard and it hurt. Most of the class laughed. It never really occurred to us that we might question any of this. But it wasn't the teachers I grew up frightened of. The real terror was bigger kids. Other children, mainly boys, but some girls, who might attack me, mug me for my money, steal my bike, make me eat dirt or worse, just to humiliate you in front of other people. It was a violent and dangerous world I grew up in. I learned from a young age to work out which were the safer streets to walk home from school along. So what did I find when I started going to church at the age of eight and a half? I found a calmer social world where by and large grown-ups did not whack me as the first response. The bigger kids were generally decent. They might give me a slap if I stepped out of line, but not relentless thuggery and arbitrary violence. It was a kinder social world where violence played a smaller role. And I think I spotted soon enough that I was expected to behave better than at school. Bullying was not normal. I didn't live in fear of the older children. And I knew that no one would be impressed if I attacked someone smaller than me. So I grew up thinking of church as a safe place. I wouldn't have used that term. I would have said, church is where you don't get whacked, you don't get bullied, kicked or robbed. 
my mother would hit me at home. My uncles would give me one threatening look with the right gesture and I would fall into line because I would not dare to get hit by any of them. As a child, I was oblivious to the reality of sexual abuse, which was probably going on in many places around me. So that danger wasn't really on my radar. So I can only tell you how things look to me. I'm not God and I can't tell you how things really were. But in my childhood and teens, church was probably the safest space I knew. There's no question, I felt safest in and around church. Probably safer than home and safer than school and certainly safer than the street. And if you'd interviewed me at the age of, say, 13, I would have drawn a contrast between church and my other leisure activities. I was a season ticket holder in the Kipax stand at Manchester City football ground. I used to go to every home match. Well, I can tell you in the 1970s, there was a lot of trouble at football grounds. I was a quick runner and usually I got away, but not always. At Piccadilly Station in 1978, I was mugged by Everton fans for my money and the biggest shame to me at the time, my team's scarf. Three big lads pinned me against a train. A coach leaving Anfield I was on had the windows bricked through. In front of me was a lad with blood pouring out of a head wound. Any match with our local rivals, Manchester United, was particularly menacing. I went to pop concerts, and as well as the obvious drug abuse, those who were connected with punk rock attracted a lot of wild behaviour. Watching punks at school pierce their face with safety pins terrified me that they would stick something sharp into me. So church really felt safer than anywhere else I went to by a mile. So one of the most depressing things I've learned about church in recent years is that many children were not as lucky as me. Many children have gone to church activities and come away with an experience that scarred them for life. Over the past generation, we've discovered that sex abuse of children is alarmingly common within church life. Many, many children, boys and girls, little children, pre-pubescent, pubescent, adolescent, have experienced the most appalling abuse from Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, choir masters, and perhaps most shocking to me, by large numbers of clergy of all ranks and in all denominations. If you'd asked me when I first started going to church to predict which of the organisations I was involved with would in the future decade shock the world by sexually abusing children, church would have been my last guess. If you'd told me, I probably wouldn't have believed you. I would have seen it as a sort of conspiracy theory and not a very convincing one. My instinct would have been, you're making it up because you want to discredit church. And rather a lot of Christians have been just as naive as me, which is one of the reasons why the abusers were able to get away with it for so long. First, let's talk about the scale of the problem. 
we're not just talking about a few bad apples on the very edge of church. Let's look at the Roman Catholic Church for a moment. And let's look at the more Catholic European countries. First, Ireland. A list from 2018 said 1,300 priests had been accused of sexual abuse and 82 criminally convicted. In France, an inquiry has estimated that 216,000 children faced clerical abuse over the 70 years between 1950 and 2020. We don't have the numbers for Italy, but speculation is that the numbers will be even higher there. It's not confined to any one denomination, or only one country, or only one section of the church. We're talking about large numbers of people in every Christian community. The abuse of children seems to be a crime committed by clergy of all ranks. I imagine when church people first started to learn about the abuse scandal, some of them will have thought that the problem would probably be confined to low-ranking clergy in training. Perhaps a few dodgy curates and deacons would be the culprits. Surely no one further up the hierarchy would be built guilty of such crimes. I'm afraid not. It goes all the way to the top of the church. My local Anglican diocese, where I live now, is the Diocese of Chester. We recently learned that the diocesan bishop of Chester, i.e. the top bishop of the diocese, with a seat in the House of Lords, was sexually abusing children in the 1970s and 80s. His name was Victor Whitsey, and he was Bishop of Chester from 1974 to 1981. Let me put that in personal terms. When I was a teenager, getting into the swing of church on the other side of Manchester, in the next diocese, the most senior Anglican clergyman was sexually abusing children of my age in a way that if it were uncovered in his life would have seen him go to jail. Yes, I was one of the lucky ones. Then look at the predatory nature of the abuse. All sexual interference with children is abusive and can ruin their lives in all sorts of ways. But clerical abuse is often not merely sexual abuse. It's abusive in all sorts of other ways too. Victor Whitsey, that Bishop of Chester, his pattern of abuse is an instructive example. His victims were often children in a vulnerable state. More than one were clergy children who'd recently lost a parent. You might think that the bishop would want to reassure them and comfort them, which is probably what the other grown-ups around would assume he was doing, but no. What he wanted from these bereaved young people was sexual arousal. Just think what that would do to an already grieving young person grief and abuse and that experience of church leaders. And Whitsey is not alone in using his church office to pick out and pick off sad, vulnerable children. And then we've got to look at how the church has dealt with discovering about abuse in its midst. Again, very badly, like many other organisations, the first phase of response was really denial an unwillingness to face up to the uncomfortable truth 
about what's going on in our midst. I'll never forget the first clergy training conference about safeguarding that I went to in the Church of England Diocese of Chester in 1995. All the clergy were ordered to be there, so there were a lot of people in the room, and all the bishops were there introducing this new policy of child protection, which was sold rightly as a policy not just to protect children, but a way of protecting clergy from false accusation. The bishops carefully set out the need for clergy to take steps of child protection that they hadn't been used to taking, such as avoiding being alone with children to avoid suspicion, and basic good measures of good practice like that. What I will never forget is the mood amongst the clergy as they heard these new policies. There was a hostility from the clergy. They were furious about the implication that children needed protecting from them. Clergy are usually quite smiley and deferential towards their bishops. Not on that day. They really didn't like it. They really didn't get it. The church has been slow to respond to victims coming forward, slow to believe them, slow to help them, and perhaps the worst feature of church denial has been the efforts in many cases to smear victims as dirty people polluting the purity of church. Put simply, church has been very slow to grasp the reality that this problem is about us. Church is not the only organisation to learn the painful reality that paedophiles use this organisation to access children. My football club has gone through the painful discovery in recent years that one of its prominent coaches had been abusing young boys. A prestigious institution guarding its good name very carefully and a few, for a few years their approach was to pretend it never happened. So church is not the only club in denial. Scouts and sports clubs, schools and care homes have all faced a similarly rude awakening about what's going on in their own community. My view is that clerical abuse of children feels worse than the abuse of children in other settings because it's often overlaid with some sort of spiritual abuse. It's the trashing of all the good things I thought I'd discovered in church as a young teenager. Here are people who care about me. These are people I can trust. These are people who will bring me to God. This is where people care about one another and treat each other well. No one here is going to prey on me. Here's where I'm safe. That was how I felt about going to church when I was 13. Well, no well-informed teenager could think that today. Our eyes have been opened and what we've seen is not good. Thank you for listening to episode 14. Next time we're going to look at what abuse means for church.